Hello, MG Squad, and welcome to season two of the MG Podcast. My name is Alan. I'm the all-around procrastinator and also researcher <laughs> of the MG team. I know, deadly combo. And I'm today's host for the podcast, and hopefully everyone is staying inside and staying safe. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to the podcast, and let us know what you think of what we send comments and questions to our social media, at Meddling Gamers on Twitter, or at Meddling Gamers on Instagram. Today we have the full squad. Everybody say hi. Hey. Hey, hey. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Yes. On to today's topic discussion. As you know, MG is dedicated to increasing diversity and inclusion in the games industry. In addition to all that we do to make this happen, we will also conduct a series of interviews with various people of colour in the games industry to highlight and promote all the work that they do. In layman terms, basically talking to individuals who personify the value of meddling gamers. Today we have Tolu and Hamid. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us on. Our pleasure. So what's basically we're going to just run through a couple questions and then see where we go from there. It's lovely to meet you and I won't. I don't want to introduce you because I feel like you'll do it more justice. So my first question would be to Hamid and Tolu. Please tell us what you do and more specifically, what is Kugali? I'll, say, I'll give a short intro of what Kugali is and what I do. Then Tolu mm-hmm. will take over the other half of what Kugali is and what he mm-hmm. does. So my name is Hamid Ibrahim. I am one of the co-founders of Kugali. Kugali is an entertainment company focused on telling African stories, so stories that respect the past of Africa, um, embrace mm-hmm. the present, and look at the future, right? Like foresee a future for Africa as well. Yeah. Um, my role in Kugali itself is um, the head of creative operations. I deal with everything visual in Kugali. I'm responsible for that and making sure all the artists are happy as well. Mm-hmm. All right. And my name is Tolu Ulo Foyeku. I'm one of the co-founders of Kugali. Mm-hmm. I'm from Nigeria. I live in Nigeria. <laughs> and my role at Kugali is, well, I'm the CTO, so of course I'm head of everything tech related, but I also lead the editorial team. Mm. And, you know, I wear a few hats, so. (laughs) But at the end of the day, my job is to just help facilitate our creative teams to do what they do, which is create. That's um, very impressive. We've got the headhunters here, which is very cool. So how exactly did you guys meet? How exactly did Kugali, like, how was the idea formed? So Kugali was, the idea first came up between um, a group of childhood friends, really. Mm-hmm. Myself and Ziki, we've been friends since forever. And as we grew older, we, we realized that all the media we consumed was created in Japan and the U.S. Mm-hmm. And... We're we're Nigerian men. We grew up in Nigeria, and even though Ziki has relocated to the UK now, but we once we were old enough to become conscious of hey, so all this anime and all the superhero stuff, anime is Japanese, and most of the popular superheroes are American. Then mm. we started searching for what people in Africa were creating. And the question for us was, is anybody in Africa creating world-class content? So basically, the same quality of content mm. as what we were used to. And we actually found a few. We found a few that were as good as anything you would see anywhere else in the world. And it's created a mission in us. We wanted to help these people tell their stories. We, 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 funny enough, we actually started out as a podcast but we progressed from being a podcast to becoming a comic book publisher because the drive to just f- help other people. And we kept on um, pub- publishing comics from Ghana, Nigeria, Liberia, ev- anywhere we could get them until we got to where we are today. So that, that's just a really quick summary. And um, yeah, by the, Hamid met us on the way, but... And I'll let him talk about that. Cool. So uh, my story is a bit slightly different in the, I was already, I was in the visual effects industry. My motivation to actually, at first I was thinking, because my plan was to be in industry for a year and then possibly start my own thing or go freelancing. 
And then when I was in industry, at that point, I was working on a few big films. Mm. But that was my job of my dream, right? And it's that thing I already kind of accomplished my dreams. So I was trying to see how to give back. So I started mm. looking around and there was animation that came out of Nigeria at, at that point. That was the first one that came out. And it looked decent, but it wasn't... Because at that time, I was working on Lion King at that point, right? So if you guys are watching Lion King in the film, you can see the level that was in. And this mm-hmm. animation was decent, but if you put it in the world scale, it, it could not stand up. But I was proud of it. I was looking at it with rose-colored glasses. Mm-hmm. Now, I showed it to my colleagues at work, and they pretty much roasted it for like a week or something. Uh, but again, it's one thing. If I looked at it critically, I, I would roast it as well. But it was it was, a, it was progress, right? So when you look at it, it's almost like when a kid does a drawing that's better than you thought they would do. You'll mm-hmm. be proud of them, but you don't take that drawing to an art critic. It was that kind of feeling. Uh, that was almost the first step that got me thinking. I was like, I'm here working in literally the next level of visual entertainment, right? We really pushed the tech in that project there specifically. And what's going on back home is that's the level we're going on back home. So that was one of the first things that got me thinking. And I was like, why not start something on the side, which is to help the media back home. And I didn't want to just start from scratch in that, again, the goal was to give back and help people back home. And I just researched different people. And at that, at that time, it was still a podcast. It was called, I cannot say the word that well, it's Tower of Attack or something like that. Uh, Tolu, Tolu, can you say it properly? The original name, Tower of... Yeah, the, the Tao of Otaku. We just shows you how much we were influenced by mm. um, Eastern yeah. media. Yeah. <laughs> well, by then, it was Tao of Otaku, right? And then I looked at it, and I was like, these guys seem to be going the direction I want them to go. And I reached out to Ziki, I remember, and I spoke to him, and it was that thing of, I was like, yo, I'm here, I see where you guys are. Um, I'm planning to jump in. I have you know, my background, I had, the old ex- I had a whole ton of experience when I was coming in. And that's how us, and we all met at that point. By then, we had not launched any books yet. And then it's that thing of, the first book, funny enough is, when we did the first comic book, the A5 one, which was black and white, mm. because of my background, obviously, it looked kind of crap because it's black and white, it's tiny. But the art, I knew the art was good. It was just not presented that well. But mm. people were buying it. And that's one of the things that really showed me that was really those high potential in that people really wanted the story so badly in that in the format it was in that was not that good. People were buying it and enjoying it. And then obviously we had the Kickstarter and everything where we managed to create like, we actually actually showed the work in its full potential and people really saw how great they could be. So that's pretty much the two different directions how Kugali started. It was Tolu and Ziki on that side. And then mm-hmm. I came from this side, from industry. And then we kind of merged and then Kugali became what it is today. <laughs> I think that was a very good um, introduction. I'll just point out that right from the beginning. So that first book Hamid talked about, which was Black and White, it contained three stories. One from Nigeria, one from Kenya, and one from Zimbabwe. So mm-hmm. from the very beginning, we were already Pan-African in our yeah. um, way of thinking and our delivery. We just wanted to show the world the best African stories. Definitely. That is actually very impressive. And the, the next question that I'm going to ask you, you've kind of touched upon it. When I was doing my research on you and I was browsing your comics and I was going, I'm not going to lie, I saw free comics on the website and I was like, yes, please. <laughs> so I picked a random one called Lake of Tears. And the story just immediately jumps jumps into it. And the kid is nearly drowning. I don't want to give any spoilers, but he's nearly drowning. And then in that moment, I was like, damn, like, this is something I can, I can sink my teeth into. Like, I remember I was doing the research and I kept on clicking and clicking and clicking. And I'm like, why am I here again? I'm like, mm, let me just finish the story. Let me do the next story. Let me do the next story. So when you say you really have world-class um, um, stories that you offer, it's, it's, it's true. I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast, but it's, genuinely true because i then read on to read another story called endaba was a folktale and yeah yeah so i just yeah so when i was reading these i was like oh this is the lesson when, when it comes to folktales especially for me the folktales normally give you a life lesson and then with endaba it told you about the um how you have to be careful about when, when you steal and the consequences of stealing and that kind of thing on to my actual question is, and I think you touched on it, is that do you feel like it is your responsibility to promote folktales? I'll say, uh, I'll give my answer, then I'll let Tolu give his answer. Because my one, um, this whole journey for me is, um, I look at it almost like uh, just a responsibility, right? In that I'm in this position, it's I'm 
I mean, a very vision. They're not very mean. Because by the time I joined Kugadi, I'd almost already done, I already hit the goal of my life. In other words, it's almost like, you know, how people have, I want to win a million dollars. My one was to work on a big film and I already done that. So everything from that mm. point was just to give back. Mm. So I, to me, it's literally every, everything I'm doing right now, literally, I just look at it as my responsibility to give back to the world. And mm-hmm. there's no way I would feel okay with myself. With in, in, pretty much with great power comes great responsibility, as the best way I can put it. Mm-hmm. With all the ability and the opportunities I have and the connections I have, and right now the position we're in right now as well, with mm-hmm. all those things combined, these I wouldn't look at myself properly. I would I'd feel somewhere about myself if I was not helping push the African stories forward. <laughs> uh, very similarly, uh, very similar to what you said. So. In terms of folk tales, I don't have a specific urge to push folk tales in particular. What I, where my um, urge comes from is just to show that storytelling, good storytelling is universal. There's no place in the world that does not have good storytellers. Mm. And there is no place that has only bad stories. It's, it's just, that's just not the way it works. People are people, no matter where you go in the world. Indeed. So, as obviously, because specifically I'm Nigerian, so I'm going to be more biased on, hey, let, what about Nigeria? You guys didn't see what we could do. I, I'm more biased than that. And then after Nigeria, it's like, for me, yeah, the Africa as well. But my point is, I when I started... My the same way Hamid said he he already achieved his dreams. I haven't achieved mine yet, but I've always had this dream of creating triple A video games. And w- when I became old enough, because I've had this dream since I was like eleven, but once I became old enough to be able to see the other factors that affect um, business and such things, I realized that if I made a really good game, because I'm in Nigeria the international audience would not really know about the game because mm-hmm. the, the traditional channels through which people find out about such things are usually in places like the US and Japan. You know, we have E3, we have Tokyo Game Show, we have all yeah. those things. And in Nigeria, the best we have is West African Games Expo, which I'm sure none of you has heard about. But no, okay. I don't know. Like gaming podcast. Maybe you've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> so... So um, my, my point is, once I realized the, the problem with discovery, it then made me pause on my game development goals to first focus on fixing discovery for African creators. Um, that, so that, that was, it, it was a step on the way to my larger goal, which was I realized that someone else like me could make a very good comic or make a very good video game or a very good, I don't know, animated show in his country in Africa and only his local, you know, only the people around him would hear about it and know about it because the world isn't even looking in that direction. So when we started this, even before we, you know, um, got into publishing, when we first started podcasting, which was 2015, if, if you had looked at the landscape in 2015, brands and big companies looking for content in small African independent mm-hmm. creators. The landscape has changed a bit now, and I would say companies like Kugali are responsible for that. But the truth is, when we started, I don't think people were looking in our direction. Yes, I would, um, I'm inclined to agree with you. I've actually did some, um, a little bit of research into it, and there's a lot of um, bias, especially when it comes to the gaming industry, concerning whether how much spotlight certain games get, whether it's like you said in Japan or either in the US, and it's um, it can be very difficult for other um, other mediums to try and gain a foothold. How do you get your hands on these on these stories? How do you like? Is it like simple search, or is it because a lot? I know that from my experience, a lot of um, stories I was told was very verbal. It was never actually written. How did you guys get your? Hands? Uh, Tola, I'll let you take that one, and then I'll expand on the verbal communication bit. Because um, that's actually something we're very. Just, I'll, I'll touch on that. You can you can start with the story bit. But how, how do we get the stories? Okay, so there's this wonderful invention called the internet, and it lets people <laughs> anywhere, anywhere else. So 
I would say one of the ways we first found most of our stories was just really through our podcasting. The fact that we started out as a podcast means we interviewed quite a few creators back in the day. And by the time we were segueing into publishing, we already had a relationship with all these creators. We could already just reach out to them and ask, hey, uh, we are putting out a book. Do you want to be a part of it? This is what we'll do and this is what you'll get. So by the time we started publishing, we already had, um, we already knew quite a few creators across the continent. So obviously relationships continue to grow. And as we've gone ahead, we, we are at the point now where people reach out to us. We actually have on our website, a walking for, with us section where people can go and pitch comic ideas or uh, we, we'll, we'll talk about the other things we do eventually, but we, um, we have a place on our website where people can reach out to us and see various ways they can, they can collaborate with us. But definitely when we started, we, we were reaching out to people. So by the time we started publishing, we already had a lot of friendships to, to um, go to talk to. We already had a lot of friends to talk to and, I would say, so at that time, it wasn't so much like we were blank, blankly, we were shooting blank shots because we already knew these people. Mm. So, yeah. I don't know. Cool. On my side, to expand on, uh, you said from the verbal storytelling to now, mm. that's something that's actually very big to me is just Africa progressing forward with the way we tell our stories and using different mediums, right? So yeah. both the verbal included there as well. So instead of just, because... Through history, the reason African stories kind of disappeared is African stories were passed down through, like, verbally. There are some mm. other cultures. Okay, not all African stories, most African stories. There are a few that kind of had holographics and so on. And those stories survived a lot more than most African stories. That's mm. because verbally, the moment you cut off one point, you kind of lose that story. Versus yeah. down somewhere. If a whole city was destroyed, but one book survived that had a story in there, that story mm. survived, right? And yeah. just bring that down to modern day, why it's very important to me is it's not just moving that step forward, for example, from verbal storytelling to comics right now and animation. Mm. If you notice when you're doing your research, you saw we do, uh, we do a lot of things in augmented reality. Mm. That's because we don't want to just be chasing. Uh, I'm not one to just follow what other people have done. Like I, almost, almost everybody in Kugali, right? We just don't want to do what everybody has done. We want to set off a new trend. And with augmented reality, for example, with the stories there, that's we're making sure that as that new age of storytelling is gonna come to light, Africa is right there with everybody else in the world. It's not like uh, Disney came up with Disney animation, animation industry like shut off years ago, and then Africa mm. is just joining recently. This one we're literally out there as the industry is getting made, we're there defining those rules as well. And because of that, let's say if storytelling moves to that angle. African stories, because of us, will be carried in that direction as well. That's another reason why also the announcement uh, with Disney was big for me is because it was the first time anybody, not just an African, it was the first time in history the biggest animation studio has mm. collaborated with another company. And that meant a lot for me, right? Because it's, enough, it's not just the first time an African has done it. It's the first time anybody has done it. And exactly. it's just setting off that trend of the, just moving things forward in that kind of angle and competing mm. in the highest levels other than just being followers. Definitely. Um, yeah. It's, it's a massive achievement. My favorite story, or one of the most spoken to me, was Anansi the Spider from, from my dad. And um, the, the, the guy that was, um, he was so evil that heaven and hell didn't want I got to be, that's the one. That, that was like a shooting star. When you see a shooting star, if you're from, I guess from us, it's a Ghanaian story, but it could be West African in general. Um, if you see a shooting star, it's actually Akatwe who is bouncing from heaven don't want him and hell don't want him either. So he's bouncing from one place to another. Yeah. So when a Ghanaian sees a shooting star, it's like that's Akatwe going from one to the other end. Oh, yeah, it's specifically Ghanaian. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> most of the tales in our family, um, I don't know how common it is, but like you said, it was very verbal where the family will be will be watching TV or something and then our dad would like call us down and then he'll like explain 
uh, yeah. topic of discussion, and then it will drift into a story that uh, or a folktale, and that's mainly how I dad taught either taught us lessons through either his personal experiences or through um, folktales that he used to explain to us. Mm, so, and that's how he was explained to it too. His mm. grandma also told him verbally. So a lot of the stories that we know have just been passed down verbally and no one's ever sort of written them down. So we're actually quite glad that things are being written down now because mm. obviously if an elder dies with a story in them, that story is lost forever. Um, so it's important that these stories are being written down, you know. So that goes on to my next point. Why do you believe storytelling is so important specifically for, for Black people, for us? Stories shape how you think. You can't think without a story. And if the mm. only story about you here, okay, uh, I'll just give you guys a plain out example, right? My mm. little sister grew up in UK, right? Yeah. Because she grew up here, when she goes back home, she doesn't sound like most people back home. Uh, her mm. values are not the values of most people back home, right? Even if when you bounce between, I know if you've traveled, you kind of tell that you'd be like, okay, this place is, they definitely, the, the way they look at life is very different. Mm. And it's very important because if now we only have one set of stories telling the story, the person telling the story controls that narrative completely. So as I think you guys know the saying, right? Until the lion runs, runs out to write, the hunter will always be glorified. Yeah. So in other words, until you start telling your own stories, the person telling the stories will make themselves look like the good one, like the bad one. So that's it's really, really important. And just one in the way it shapes how you see yourself and how the world sees you. But also in the way you think, you cannot think without stories. For us, it would be simply um similar to um the history is written by the victim. So that's how what yeah. I understood from it. So it's not just history; even the way you look at somebody, right? So mm. let's say the difference between you thinking, uh, the difference between you thinking a mango is a dope fruit and a mango is a horrible fruit when you have not tasted a mango is the person who told you about the mango. The person that's who tells mm. you the story controls it and the first time you hear a story as well psychologically that's the one that sticks in your brain and your brain always tries to confirm that story so for example mm. if somebody told you this person's a horrible person and you go and meet yeah. them it's gonna run in your head and anytime you're interacting with him you're going off that framework and it's going to affect how you treat that person whereas if someone told you that person is an amazing person i think they run a test with uh teachers and students in school yeah. when I told them a student was an amazing student right if just a normal mm. student and they sp the way they treated that student was different to the part that they actually got better grades than yeah. the student who they told them was just an ordinary yeah. student. So it's that thing of the way, when, when somebody puts a story in your head, that story, that story makes you treat that person differently. I believe it's um, confirmation bias where you go in with already a preset, a predetermined set of ideas and you just go there and you're looking for everything that confirms it for you. So I, I know the test you're talking about, it was between um, teachers grading where if they saw yeah. an Asian name, they would mark it higher. And then the neutral was the uh, was the, a Caucasian kid. And then they would always mark a black student more harshly. So it's, they already have, um, teachers themselves already have a confirmed bias whenever it comes to marking something as impactful as marking. So I understand, I know where that the study you're talking about, which is absolutely yeah. true. So yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. Um, the stories that we have, if they're only told from one particular narrative, it will shape of enforcing yeah. different, same ideology with that being said do you intend to translate the stories that you have for a western audience or do you want to give us the raw story uh, Tolo, you want to check that one sure well definitely raw <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so the thing is like i said ziki and i childhood friends we grew up loving anime and the so you watch let me start with the ones we were watching when we were 11, 12, 13. There was Samurai X or Rurune Kenshin, if you go by the Japanese name. There was Dragon Ball Z. And th these things did not, they didn't try to pander to an international audience per se. They were just themselves and then everybody loved them for what they were. Yes, they got translated to English, but if you know anime fans, you know that most anime fans watch the anime in the original Japanese. <laughs> so, it's, oh. yeah, and people people who read manga read the book from right to left, mm -hmm. the same way it's um, written in the original manga, N not the way the Western world reads things, which is from left to right. I mean, when yeah. you're flipping the pages. So, and they sell it 
worldwide in that format. They just keep their original thing. Yeah. And if you if you don't like it, you don't like it. If you love it, you love it regardless. They don't mm-hmm. have to try to change it to match you. Mm-hmm. So that's the same paradigm we're taking with our storytelling. You said you read some of our comics. And mm-hmm. if you read anything like Mumu Juju or Oro, you would see you would see pidgin english you would see yoruba because that's what the characters would speak in those places but if you read something like ndo okay that one would be plain english mm. and we just want to give the most authentic experience because mm. the same way i didn't fall in love with voltron because i could relate with the culture or because it was african I fell in love with Voltron because the giant robots flying and fighting giant mm. monsters was awesome. Period. <laughs> That's all. It's awesome. <laughs> Agreed. So I want people to fall in love with my work because it's awesome. Not first because it's African. Yes, mm. I'm African. Yes, I'm Nigerian. And I will I will tell Nigerian stories. But okay, let's say I come up with a story that is giant robots fighting giant monsters in space. There's nothing specifically Nigerian about that story. But mm. if my story is good, people from anywhere in the world will love it. And if my story sucks, it doesn't matter that I'm Nigerian. People, even other Nigerians will not like it. Mm. <laughs> so so yeah. it's, it's really about being authentic with your storytelling first. And that's why we kept saying world, world standard. We didn't mm. want people to like it just... Oh, okay, because they are Nigerian or they are African, or oh, that's a Lake of Tears is a Ghanaian story, so uh, Ghanaians all over the world should like it. No, anybody anywhere should like it because it's good. That's that yeah. was the target. I understand where you're coming from in terms of a great story is a great story, no matter where it's come from. And I'm definitely on the boat with um, subbed, overdubbed, but you know, I don't want to split the fan base. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm still fighting with my little sister. She hates me watching everything Japanese uh, dubbed. I prefer that. I, I want to enjoy my entertainment. I don't want to be reading. Uh, what? No. Hey, I'm on your side with that one. Listen, I, I like the original sub, but sometimes you need the dub so you can do other stuff, you know? Like, it's not always convenient. Yeah. I, I mean, like, if I wanted to read something, I read a book, man. You know? Yeah, I ain't got time. Sometimes. I have to watch it and then rewind it and watch the scene and match it up. I mean, like, uh-huh. if it's something like Dragon Ball, I think I don't think much is lost in translation yeah. with Dragon Ball. I like to think. I don't want to start a fight today. <laughs> 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 but you guys are pushing it. But anyway, <clears throat> so let's just uh, let's just leave let's just leave it there because this could be its own podcast. And it's like like I said before, congratulations on the um, the, the collab with Disney. Some massive success, but. Disney have also had massive successes to heavily in African influenced stories like Black Panther and Lion King, which you've worked. So with the Disney collab, we want to know the science fiction series title Iwaju is going to debut in twenty twenty. Disney haven't Disney didn't have a um a track record with working with African creators. Do you think um they're doubling down on African storytelling because clearly there's an audience for stories that you guys are providing? This is a funny thing. We were because we were working with them before because a lot of a lot of people look at the announcement right and they think this is something just because of what happened in the last year and we've been mm-hmm. working with them way longer than that. They approached us. Uh, was it 2019 Tolu or 2018? 2019, January 2019, just to specify it. So that's from when this was going on. I it was more of at that point. I don't even think they were thinking about it. Keep in mind, this is the first of its kind. Literally, this is it's never happened before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's almost like um, as I said, right? Kugali's goal was just spreading African stories around the world. And it was that thing of when they landed on us and they saw the stories, right? Because the stories speak for themselves, as, as you can see. Uh, they decided to take a chance and not to just to avoid saying anything, I'm not supposed to say we we blew their minds a few a couple of times. Let's put it that way, and that's how we ended up where we are right now. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Is that, that's, I'm cool to, to say that totally right. That's not. I'm not. I'm not disclosing anything secretive. That I think. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's, that'll be fine. 
I'm not gonna take that away from you, but yeah, definitely. But I, I, I could understand what you're saying by you blew their minds away because you definitely blew mine away. Production value and storytelling, which I saw on the website, because I knew as soon as I saw one, I wanted to get to know more. And you can't, you can't that kind of quality you can't buy. Um, I know the team have other questions, so I'll let them take. Yeah, that'd be great, actually. Um, I know we've kind of touched upon anime once or twice here, and it seems like it has been something that has influenced you over time. In the way that your work looks today, is there any key anime that you really feel has somehow informed it or really inspired it? Is there anything that you can see in your work that's, you know, been inspired by the stuff you watched when you were growing up? Okay, um, I'll answer that first, because first of all, a lot of what Kugali publishes was not developed in-house. Like I said, we were very, we're very, very collaborative by nature. I mentioned that our very first comic um, publication was three different comics from three different countries. If, but that being said, we do create some in-house content. And our co-founder, who isn't on this call right now, Ziki, he's a writer. So one of the stories he has written, Nani, which is our flagship title right now, Nani is very influenced by anime. So I, I said that just to point out that not everything we do is influenced by anime or by any specific thing because everyone has, all the creators we work with, both those in-house and those external to us that we collaborate with, everyone has their different influences and different styles. And Ziki's style in particular, if I had to talk about his influences, it would generally be very um, berserk. Berserk, the manga. So, you know, dark. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Berserk. That's really cool. Yeah, or, or, or stories like um, Sandman. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Ziki's storytelling style is very dark and gritty most of the time. But Nani is not dark and gritty. Nani is more isekai anime. Um, oh. And, yeah, so that's our current flagship. We... By the time this podcast airs, we should be just about releasing Volume 2. We had a Kickstarter for Nani Volume 2. We Volume 1 came out a while back. And Nani Volume 2, the Kickstarter, is actually the most funded African comic on, in Kickstarter history. And that Kickstarter was before Disney Animation made the public announcement that we were working with them. So... The point is, for us to raise a lot of funds on Kickstarter, when people did not yet know we were working with Disney Animation, it tells you like the quality of our storytelling and our artwork. You you go to our website, you look at Nani, you see the artwork, you're going to want it. Mm. That is influenced by anime, but not everything we do is influenced by anime. Like you said, um, you went through our comics, you saw something like Undo that is very classic folktale, and you would notice the art style was very influenced by um, Minola's type of art. So, because the artist for that one, he's from Senegal, and he has this very um, Minola art style. In my perspective, his art style is better than uh, Before People Kill Me. Is better than From Your. <laughs> in my opinion, in my in my opinion. Uh, Anyway, yeah, uh, it's because he has he has so many African elements in his art style that are so unique because like mm -hmm. you just haven't seen that anywhere else. Yeah, he's just awesome. I love him. Um, anyway, uh, on my side, funny enough, is I'm more of a technical artist. So, Avin, my comic book is gonna come soon. Uh, it's a bit later than I thought. I was planning to start right uh, developing a personal one by me personally. I was planning to do that around mid this year, but obviously. We have uh, Disney. You thing. heard it first on the MG podcast because yeah. I'm hearing this for the first time myself. <laughs> I think I told, oh yeah, you're not in conventions. Ziki would know. I, I, I would tell people in conventions. Uh, my bad, Tolly. Uh, <laughs> 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 I was planning to do a, uh, a comic at least around mid this year. Obviously, that's going to get pushed mm. to later down the line. But in general, my inspirations have always been Leonardo da Vinci. And it's just that combination of art and science. And you notice that yeah. with everything I do, right? Uh, actually, there are three things from him. Uh, actually, he's the reason I started doing art at all. There was an advert going on. I was young, definitely under 10 years old. I still remember it. I don't remember how old I was. I don't remember. I even don't remember how the, the paint in the house, but I remember what the advert went. And I remember there was a line that said, Mona Lisa, much more than just art. And I saw that. And for some reason, that image really, really caught me. And that's what made me kind of fall into that 
like researching Da Vinci back in the day when uh, pretty much, I don't think you could call the internet internet for us back home. It was, it was, it was something else. Like you'd pay, like this, uh, about five years later, I'd pay f- to watch internet for 30 minutes. That, w- that was enough time to load one five minute video. And that's how mm-hmm. I calculate it. So I'd have the video loading for like the start, like a five minute video for 30 minutes loading as I'm doing something else. So you can imagine before that. So I was just looking for the region and so on. And that's the days of the cyber cafe. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were there. We were, me and my sister, when we had to call back, call our relatives back in Ghana, we had to get it rerouted to Nigeria and then we had to get the scratch cards and it was, yeah. So oh, you called. We you Hamid, <laughs> you know, I'm amused. I don't think you've mentioned that you're from Uganda at all on this podcast. Because I was going to talk about you mentioned yeah. back home, but you never said what back home was. Oh, yeah. Back home is Uganda. I'm from Uganda. I, I grew up in Uganda and Kenya. I was in Kenya for 10 years in my, not technically nine or eight and a half-ish, but I just call it 10 years to round it up. Uh, I 10 years in Kenya and then in Uganda. That's why Lion King became my favorite film is because the Swahili in Lion King. Mm, uh, yeah. And yeah, that's it became one of my favorite animations. And thank God. When I was, because some things I liked when I was a kid and I watched them when I was a bit older and they did not hold up, Leon King holds up so good. Like, I was so happy. <laughs> so it's, it's really, like, I really like that. And it was a, it's a Swahili story and then you're able to work on that live action. It feels I know. Sorry, for the, re, for the people who are listening, I'm just remembering, Isaki um, anime is like when the protagonist is in, from this world and they get knocked by normally by a truck or they get into an accident and they die and they're reincarnated into a different world. That's what that means. So just for people who are listening in. Sorry, Laura, um, I know you got... No, it's all good. It's been fascinating listening. Honestly, it's just the, just the layers you guys go into really, it's really fascinating to hear more. But uh, Don, did you have a question? Yes, the most important question. And this <laughs> is why we held the entire podcast. I need to know. Dubbed or subbed, there has to be an answer. We we touched upon. Oh, okay, I'm going to leave it to you guys. If you want to start a fight, you we, start we, a fight. No, it's, it's just something that we, we do love to ask on on the yes. podcast, and uh, you know, there's there's different there's different ways you can read it. I mean, it is important to take in other people's culture. Well, I can only speak for myself because mm-hmm. to start with, Hamid isn't an anime person. Ziki is, but he's not here, and. I would say for most anime, for me, subs. Yes! It's only for the child-friendly <laughs> anime like Digimon. I can do jobs uh. for those because some things like Digimon sound good with, like, you know, American voice actors and punk rock music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for Digimon, I can do jobs. Funny, I just learned that Digimon was dubbed. I used to watch it alone when I was a kid. Didn't even, didn't even know it was anime. Just put it that way. Everybody <laughs> Uh, so I wasn't really a big anime watcher. I'd watch mm-hmm. some of them that were on, right? Like Shamurai Jack. And in my mm-hmm. mind, I watch read as anime, right? Uh, so Shamurai Jack, so Shamurai X as well. I think that was pretty much like proper anime anime when I think back at it in that the way it looked. I don't remember how it looks that well. But dubbed or subbed, <laughs> 100% subbed. Uh, I watch it. These guys don't even me watch anime. My little sister watch, watches anime more than me. She's actually more of a fan than me. Uh, which, which is quite, it's it's fun. It's a weird one, but it's quite fun. Uh, but she hates it when I say I'm going to watch it uh, uh, subbed, sorry, dubbed other than subbed, because she, she's like, you have to watch it subbed. It's much better. I'm like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you see the difference between the two of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, no. I 100, 1,000% agree with you and your sister as well. She knows. It's, it's, it's just better. I've heard, I've heard the stories. It's, it, the way you guys are speaking right now, it's almost like the way people in Game of Thrones, when people who read the book, was that yeah. the book is... Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Apart from the last... Me, me, me and Ziki are book people. We read the book. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, my own film, I'll focus on that. <laughs> Funny, I read books. I cannot read a fictional book. I can only read non-fiction books. I've never finished a single fictional no book. Like, what? literally after, I think... I get to about page 100 and I just, it, I, I, I drop it at some point, but nonfiction, I crush them out. Like there was a time I was reading about a book a week, nonfiction, right? And I have no problem. This, this is an interesting thing. This just shows you how like so many people have different tastes and 
there is no like one right taste or one wrong taste when it comes to storytelling. So mm-hmm. that's why yeah. that, that it goes back to what I was saying of storytelling is universal and good stories are universal. But there's also the uniqueness everywhere, every specific place in the world presents. So sometimes there's this thing with novelty. The first time you, first few times you see something, it just blows your mind because you just haven't seen anything like that before. So it, it may not necessarily be better than the things you've been seeing, but it's new to you. And mm-hmm. in that same way, I feel like if you were to start, you know, let's say you start exploring Kugali's world mm-hmm. and our stories are as good as, you know, the, the other really good stories you've experienced. But when you're watching, let's say, anime, you're what, you pick a shonen anime, you can already predict certain things because they have patterns and they have tropes. You already know there's going to be the two main characters, the red guy and the blue guy, usually. <laughs> so, I mean, let's look at um, Assassination Classroom. We had um, Nagisa and um, what's his name? Karma. Dragon yeah. Ball Z, Goku and Vegeta, Naruto and Sasuke. Like, there's always the red guy and the blue guy most of the time. And we already know the tropes. So if I create something that is as good as those things, but you don't know my tropes, because yeah. this is a completely different style of storytelling. So it yeah. then you then get to enjoy not just the quality, but the novelty. And I think that's one of the key things we bring to the table that you just can't get anywhere else. Yeah, maybe you can get the same quality elsewhere, but you can't get the same novelty. You just haven't seen anything like what we do before. No, you're absolutely right. And diversity brings out the best than everyone. So the more diverse um, medium a medium is, the more rich stories can become. You won't like you won't have the feeling of. I've read one and I've read, now I've read them all. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think that's all the questions from the team. Anzi, do you have anything? Or Zen, do you have anything? Yeah, I do have a question. I've been listening and it's just been really wonderful to hear that you guys have done this and that um, you're sort of creating this world where people can sort of discover African stories told by Africans. And I just wanted to touch upon what you said earlier about how it was important that they were just speaking Yoruba and that was just that is authentic for that place and not sort of, um, I suppose, westernizing it too much because this is a story that's supposed to be written um, holistically. And that's the story you sort of want to portray. Do you ever have fears or maybe like concerns that you're going to have to sort of change your story as, you know, you guys get bigger and bigger and bigger and so that it's more um, quote unquote. Um, Palatable to the Westerners. Yeah, for certain audiences. I think that two layers to this question. So the first layer is tell the story to be palatable to the audience. I would say that one is a definite no. The other layer, which is a bit of a tricky one, which is one we are still discussing in-house, is, for example, some things in the West are looked at as uh, disrespectful, and in Africa they're looked at as a sign of respect. So things like that are the things which we, we are thinking about it. And at the moment we have settled down on we let the artists tell their story and we'll defend them based on what it is. In other words, how can we say we're telling an African story when most of Africa, let's say, um, let's say it's a culture and in that culture, uh, the woman kneels down to greet the man and that's a sign of respect, right? But if somebody is from the from the West and the person's a feminist, they're never going to look at that as a sign of respect. They're going to look at it as a sign of disrespect to the mm. herself. It's a tricky thing of like, now... Do we change that? Do we edit that? And we're kind of settled on the point where we just said, as long as the artist is being respectful and telling their story, like whoever who's writing it is telling that story, when they're yeah. telling that story, we let them tell the story and we will defend them on the court of quote-unquote public opinion when such things come out. But it's still, it's one of those tricky things. The first one yeah. is very easy. No, if it's just, like, I'm not going to change it so it's easy for you to read. Uh, you mm. can learn how to read it and you can enjoy it properly. Uh, in other words, I'm not going to put water inside the sauce because you're not used to eating uh, nice nice food. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I won't use that one. I'll use that. Uh, I agree. Um, I think that it's inevitable. There's going to be a clash of culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're going to have to, some people are going to have to learn and whether, they, whether they're on board of it or not, they're going to have to learn it because 
it's simply it's not their place to say what a culture should be when they have no rights to that culture so i think that it's on us to make sure that our story is told but it's also told from our standpoint yeah and how we experience things as well and my follow-up question to that is do you now feel like the pressure of educating people because some people read that oh there's you guys eat this in your culture or you do that in your culture and now people are sort of coming to you be like oh well i read in this story that in ghana they do this or in nigeria do they do that or in uganda they do this do you sort of feel the pressure now to sort this this has to be um educational too oh okay i'll put it this way we don't feel a pressure for it to be educational but we feel a pressure for it to be correct so let's say i'm like so someone from let's say i I want to mention a country that okay let let me just use uganda um even though we have hamid and hamid is uganda and so but let's let's assume we didn't have a hamid on our team and we didn't have any ugandans on our team if someone from uganda brought us a ugandan story and we liked it and wanted to publish it then i i would feel um the responsibility to fact check that those things he says are Ugandan are actually Ugandan, especially if it's a Ugandan story, but the writer or creator is not Ugandan. So let's Mm. just say um, someone from Ghana wants to write a Ugandan story for whatever reason. Then I feel that responsibility to check that he's representing Uganda properly it's so it's it's tough when because obviously we have first generation immigrants that could be in maybe the US or UK but their mm. parents are from somewhere in Africa mm. and then you 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 then wonder how much of the original place does this person still um, retain so like Hamid's younger sister or how much would they be coloring it with the lens of where they grew up so there's mm. that part but but I don't feel I don't feel like oh every story we're putting out has to have some educational um, aspects. Again, mm. I'll use the Voltron analogy. I want the freedom to be able to tell a Voltron story that has nothing to do with Nigeria, and then later go tell a different story that talks about corruption in Nigeria. One is very political and educative, while the other one is giant robots fighting giant monsters. Yeah, yeah, I would say just add on the pressure point. And one thing, at least I'm noticing right now after the Disney announcement, is people expecting you to have done a lot of things. We're like, when are you guys gonna do this? Are you guys gonna do that? And I usually tell them, check with us a couple of years later. How many years later? Just keep checking. Uh, because <laughs> like we're still pretty young. So for example, mm-hmm. there's a girl, uh, she's from I think Guinea is where she's from. We don't have a story from Guinea, and she wants a story from Guinea. We're like, one day it will come. So that's the only thing I'm kind of like, a lot of people, because we have kind of hit the Disney thing, a lot of people are kind of have the expe- expectation of, oh, why haven't you done this yet? I just, for example, somebody said, is it just a, Iwaju is based in Nigeria. Some people are like, oh, why is it a Nigerian story? Nigerian are getting a lot of media, because it's a Nigerian story. If it was a Ugandan one, it would be a Ugandan one. It's just, it is what it is. And whichever one we're going to learn to, we'll create it. But just, it, as long as you know our heart is in the right place, we're going to create all these stories. We have goals to create as many stories as possible. Mm-hmm. I wish, at least from my end, from every single African country, if you can have a story from that, that would be absolutely amazing. Uh, but yeah, but again, we can't do that in a snap of a finger. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of work. So that's usually what I tell people. That's the only thing. Yeah. It's popping up quite a bit right now. Recently, where it's like, I see you guys have done this and this. Have you guys thought about doing that and that as well? We're like, in time, it will come. Yeah, there's you guys, like you said, you're still young, so there's still plenty of time to go and I. And we will uh, eye on you with great interest. I think that's everything. Please, please, please go onto that website where you can see free comics, guys. It's free, and just see you just see how talented they are. Okay, <laughs> so um, just guys, do me the solid. So, but I, I want to thank. Yeah. You. So let me plug if let me plug us a bit. We're very active on Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. It's at Kugali Media on all those platforms. Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, at Kugali Media. And on Snapchat, we are kugali.ar. Uh, don't forget, we are pretty much the only African official lens creator on Snapchat. So um, 
you, you, you can get stuff from us you won't get anywhere else, even in that field. But I would also point out, if you join us on Patreon, then you get early access to things like our Kugali app, which is in beta right now. So only patrons have access to it. We've not launched the app um, cool. for everyone yet. But I mean, Patreon with just about $3 a month, you, you get your mm-hmm. in. So it's not, it's not much. And yeah, you also get early access because like our latest comic, if you check our Twitter, you'd see we just tweeted, I think, recently about a comic zombie and right now that comic is only on the app and like i said the app is only on patreon so Mm. there's all of that but yeah like we also have a lot of free comics right at Mm. kugali.com in case you you're not up for three dollars a month yet (laughs) (laughs) make no mistake gang their comics are definitely well but i just again i want to thank um hamid and tolu for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure just envisioning the Kugali brand grows. A dream of mine. To thank you very much for being with us. Thank you very much for having us. Really, really, really appreciate you reaching out and having the conversation with us. Definitely. Of course. So, thank you very much. Um, so you know what it is. Go follow us on our MG socials and all that jazz. Be sure to sign up as well. You know what it is. So till next time, MG Squad. Peace. Bye. 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 Bye.